The US dollar is at new highs this morning, powered by another rise in US bond yields, all in the wake of the Fed's decision to keep rates high for longer. That's coming up in our five things in five minutes. And then in our deep dive, we find out what's behind India's inclusion in a key bond index. It requires much stricter fiscal discipline by the government because this is hot money. But first, in 5 and 5 with ANZ. Number one, the US dollar rose to record highs in early Asian trade against the yen, and the US dollar index hit a 10-month high. It's all about higher interest rates after the Fed's decision last week to hold, but hawkishly, and for longer than some previously expected. That drove the yen down to almost 149 yen to the dollar this morning, which will put currency markets in Asia on high alert again for intervention by the Japanese authorities. The US 10-year bond yield rose another nine basis points to a 16-year high of 4.53%. The two-year Treasury bond was flat at 5.12%. Now, back in this region, the Aussie dollar is down at 64.2 US cents this morning. That's from 64.5 cents yesterday. The Kiwi dollar is basically flat at around 59.6 US cents. Number two, the other big movers on markets overnight were China's property stocks, which fell their most so far this year on news that one of the bigger ones wouldn't be able to issue new debt because of an investigation into one of its subsidiaries. The Hang Seng Property Index fell 4.3% overnight, and the weakness carried over into metals trading. Iron ore and copper prices fell around about 1%. Number three, ANZ's economists in New Zealand have raised their forecast for house price inflation in the second half of this year to around 4% from 3%, but they've warned it may help trigger a rate hike by the Reserve Bank of New Zealand to slow the housing market down. ANZ senior economist in New Zealand, Miles Workman, wrote in a note yesterday that prices were currently rising at an annualised rate of almost 8%. He cited migration of close to 100,000 in the last year. He says that demand hasn't been matched by supply, adding pressure to both rents and house prices. Number four, Singapore's core inflation rate fell to 3.4% in August. But that's not quite enough for the Monetary Authority of Singapore. My colleague Catherine Dyer spoke to ANZ's head of Asia research, Kun Go. The underlying core inflation measures is still uh, quite elevated. Uh, it suggests that uh, the Monetary Authority of Singapore will keep maintaining policy unchanged uh, until we get a more meaningful decline in core inflation into next year. What are some of the upside risks, especially in relation to things like transport? We're seeing uh, recent increases in oil prices starting to push petrol uh, prices higher. In addition, due to the El Nino weather effects, we've seen export prices rise as well. And uh, peculiar to Singapore, the car COE prices has surged to a record high of 144,000 sing. Uh, This is an increase from the uh, pandemic low of 32,500, which is going to push up uh, transport costs and lead to upside risk to headline inflation in the coming months. Couldn't go there. Number five. Looking ahead, there's a range of US Federal Reserve business activity surveys due tonight. And tomorrow, we have Australian inflation data for August, with flat annual inflation of 4.9% expected. Now it's time for our bonus deep dive interview. 
JP Morgan has finally agreed to add Indian government bonds to their main family of bond indices. My colleague Catherine Dyer asked ANZ's economist for India, Dheeraj Nim, what the significance of this move is. So think of a bond index like a benchmark equity index, which is a collection of a lot of stocks. Similarly, a global bond index in this case is is a collection of a lot of bonds coming from emerging markets. So sovereign bonds, the bonds of the government. What it basically does is tracks returns from these bonds, which are from various emerging markets on an aggregate basis. A lot of investors follow these bond indices to make their uh, portfolio decisions uh, in a way that they would also want to diversify their portfolios in, in terms of how these bond indices are constructed in terms of the weights of the countries that constitute them. So so India has finally made an entry in, in that club. Why have Indian government bonds not been included in the index until now? Well, this has been in the works for about 10 years now, as far as I can remember. And uh, time and again, there have been difficulties about the credit quality, the fiscal worthiness, then, of course, operational issues regarding taxation on returns and investable limits. So there have been both regulatory uh, uh, issues as well as concerns regarding the quality of fiscal debt, etc., and the broader macroeconomic appeal of the country. So why is this a significant event? It's significant. Well, you have to put it in perspective in the sense that India is the fifth largest economy in the world right now and a fast-growing one. Um, it has a debt market, a government debt market, which is valued at about $1.8 trillion. So that's the amount of outstanding debt. That's a significantly deep bond market. So it should have access to foreign capital uh, like other emerging markets have, which creates an additional source of demand for government's bond supply You know, as they try and fulfill their fiscal responsibilities. So it's momentous from that perspective that it creates an additional source of demand for government bonds going forward. At the same time, it will contribute significantly to the deepening of the broader financial market environment in the country. So what impact is that likely to have on the Indian economy and on the value of the bonds themselves? So it is expected to be positive for bond prices going forward, which means that, you know, the Indian bonds will have to be re-rated and um, the yields could structurally be lower going forward. This also means that a lot of domestic banks, which were investing significantly higher amount in government bonds over and above the required limits, will be able to free up their resources from government bonds and create greater lending capacity in the economy. It could also mean that the costs of capital in the economy could come down, which would bode well for investment accumulation and asset creation generally. So I think overall, it, it is a momentous occasion. It is a momentous change, which can have far-reaching implications for the economy going forward. How will this affect the RBI's management of foreign exchange and, and interest rates? Well, I think the most immediate challenge for the RBI, well, if not in FY24, then the next year, that is FY25, will be to absorb these substantial inflows. Well, our estimates are that at least $24, $25 billion of US dollars worth of inflows will be coming into the economy because of, you know, India's uh, 10% weight, which will be gradually reached in this JP Morgan bond index. So these $25 billion inflows are what economists would categorize as hot money, as in it's prone to come in quickly and get out as quickly. So the RBI would likely have to absorb all of this money so that, you know, uh, the rupee is not reacting to this phenomenon. Uh, 
it complicates their challenge of inflation management because you know inflation risks have resurfaced which means that they would not want domestic liquidity to rise unduly so if they are absorbing these many dollars from the forex market they will have to supply the rupee well they will have to find ways to sterilize that rupee infusion into the domestic liquidity market so that it does not create additional inflation risks. So that is a challenge before the RBI from absorption of these numbers. But let, let's just put it in perspective, $25 billion is not a lot of money for the RBI to not be able to manage in a single year. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Tuesday, September the 26th. Catch you tomorrow for a closer look at what sales of Gucci bags, Chanel perfume and Omega watches can tell us about GDP growth rates in Asia. This podcast contains general information only, not investment advice. You should obtain advice for your personal circumstances before making any investment decisions. Please view the podcast disclaimer available via your media player or email.